0: Welcome to Critical Dialogues. I'm Matthew Rana, and with me, as always, is Christine Antaya. Uh, for this episode, the final episode of uh, this season, we decided to do something a little bit different. Um, so we asked all of the guests who appeared on the podcast this fall, um, or we we gave them rather the opportunity to ask us a question back, or questions, I guess, as the case may be. Um, so we're not going to say who asked us what. Uh, we'll leave that up, up to you, to sort of guess. Um, but Christine, do you want to start us off with the first question?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, so
1: this first one is, as a new immigrant to Malmo, I'd be curious to ask about your experiences of moving to the city. Why Malmo? How has it changed since you first moved here? And where do you see it going? So I guess this is both kind of a personal and professional um, or art world question. But um, for me, I still kind of, I've been in Malmo for probably like 15 plus years off and on. But I still kind of feel like I've never really moved here. I just sort of ended up here. I mean, the first time I moved here in my early 20s, I moved to this part of the country to... Um, for this creative writing course at a, like this adult education college in, in the countryside and I was living there and I was kind of miserable living in this tiny town. So I moved in into a friend's apartment in Malmo very unceremoniously. And that's kind of the first time I moved to Malmo and I'm sort of still here. But it wasn't a very conscious choice sort of at the time. I mean, I think it was for you, Matthew.
0: Yeah, I mean...
1: More deliberate?
0: It was. um, So my partner and I have been living in Malmö for six years, more or less. And um, we moved here from Hamburg by way of Gothenburg. Um, And at the time, it was like um, I had a very sort of precarious immigration status. Um, And so uh, after my partner finished her studies in Hamburg, we decided that it made most sense to kind of settle again in Sweden until, you know, I could get my status kind of sorted out and everything. And, you know, we had some friends who had just kind of recently moved to Malmö who were really kind of uh, pushing for us to move (laughs) And uh, you know, we we had a little bit of a context here, uh, knowing some of the people in the art world um, or in the art scene in Malma. and so it seemed like a pretty soft landing spot for also all the reasons, you know, why a lot of people who've come on the podcast this fall have mentioned, you know, um, sort of affordable studio spaces, you know, if not plentiful, then it's sort of uh, possible. Uh, to get a studio so that's kind of those are sort of the reasons why we we moved here I was also doing a kind of course at the art academy uh, too so it made sense and I mean when we arrived I remember there were sort of like three um, sort of crisis moments or like three sort of overlapping crises that were happening um, one was the human mobility crisis. Um, the second was the sort of crisis of the Malma Art Academy potentially being closed or relocated, right? The Save the Malma Art Academy mm. campaign. And the other was like uh, the potential closure of Lundskonsthal. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, so having those things kind of happening all at the same time, I mean, I think it kind of, there was a lot of mobilization, kind of like a collective sort of mobilization around a lot of these things um, in the arts. Um, also with like Unicorn, this artist residency thing that formed for artists at risk. Um, uh, Lundskonstal didn't end up closing. You know, Malma Art Academy uh, was relocated in the end. But um, in any case, there was this sort of like, collective spirit somehow that was kind of manifested in the face of these overlapping crises and so I kind of had this impression of Malma as this very sort of like um, a city where there was a lot of solidarity kind of among artists and a sort of like um, sort of desire to kind of engage politically and sort of almost like Radically, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I think you know, some of that that rhetoric that kind of unfolded, especially around the art academy moving, was pretty conservative. But nonetheless, I had that was the kind of picture that was painted for me in my first year here, and um, I don't necessarily feel that any longer. Um, it feels much more atomized, or like that. The, there are a lot of like sort of extremely like l- local scenes within Malmö mm, yeah. uh, that have their sort of, you know, local, very local audiences who are also the sort of practitioners or something. And there's not a lot of overlap and there's not a doesn't appear to be a ton of engagement. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm what I've seen in the last six years or so.
1: A decline.
0: <laughs> Maybe I just had the total wrong idea about the the city and the art scene here you know but uh yeah i i I don't know if i would call it a decline but yeah it's just it just feels very different and of course you know the pandemic has a lot to do with that right because it's sort of splintered our sort of possible social spaces Mm, and mm. everything um isolated people uh, yeah yeah and uh i'm sure that's something we'll probably come back to in future questions but um you know, I'd like to see Malmö kind of get back to that sort of spirit a bit more, right? Um, so where the kind of like different local scenes are maybe overlapping a bit more uh, or that there's sort of a sense of a kind of commoning or common...
1: Right, yeah. Because one might think there is sort of from outside or like knowing that Malmo's sort of just grassroots arts or artist-driven. And... Right. As this um, DIY seen and that that would you know that that entails um, community and um, cooperation sort of but that yeah that isn't necessarily the case I mean I, I think also you said something about Malmo just like being possible and I think that that's like on a personal level why I'm here and still here um, in terms of you know, just living and finding, housing and 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 just, um, just something that feels like doable about being in Malmo as opposed to Stockholm or some, or somewhere like that. Um, I mean, as for the art scene, I don't think I've been like embedded in it the same way as you have, even though I've been here longer, but. Um, I mean, since I sort of come from art history rather than art, or, um, you know, I'm not trained as an artist, I didn't, like, have an easy way into the Malmo, Malmo art scene, um, so I don't feel like I've been part of that for the entire time that I've been here. But if I have hopes for, for, like, how it could change, I think it would be, you know, everything that you mentioned, but also maybe more galleries or sort of medium-sized institutions um more exhibition spaces basically because i even though i you know i love a lot of these artist driven ones but there's just something about accessibility and um duration of exhibitions and so forth that i would like to see like developed um
0: right yeah i mean like when i moved here for instance, like the Johan Berggren gallery was still around and that's something that has changed. There's no commercial gallery yeah, yeah. of note, I would say mm. in town uh, that is like, you know, participating in fairs abroad and things like that. Yeah, um, And I mean, I think that is, I just want to echo kind of what you said that like, you know, I do think that there is the, the kind of art ecology here is tending toward sort of imbalance Um, so I think like more types of spaces um, commercial galleries included you know I think that that would be healthy for this this scene
1: I mean I'm just thinking like when I have friends from out of town visit or they're passing through and they say like what you know what exhibitions should I see and often yeah that's not usually like a very long (laughs) list basically (laughs) but of course Malmo is it's not that big, but I think there's definitely room for, for more interesting exhibition spaces that are accessible and, and open to all.
0: Okay, so what, what's our next question?
1: Let's see. Um, this guest wanted us to share our influences, thinkers, writers, and so on, in relation to writing and writing art criticism.
0: Right. Should I, yeah, <laughs> should I go first? You go first. Um, I mean, she's not necessarily an art critic, but... um. I would say that i'm hugely indebted to the uh thinking of uh the poet lisa robertson um she was actually one of my uh advisors in graduate school and i worked with her pretty closely and she's had a huge impact on the way i think about things um but uh, and i mean more specific to like my practice as an art critic i mean i think i've mentioned this before like um last year or two years ago, whenever we had the conversation between us, um, is, I mean, like my background is as an artist and I also kind of like fell into art criticism. Um, it was not something, it was not like an occupation that I aspired to necessarily. Um, but I had kind of found myself, I had accumulated a kind of body of work, um, as a critic and kept working as one. So um my kind of how I position myself as a critic has sort of shifted over time I guess as a consequence um today I mean I think I also mentioned this uh <laughs> that like I I sort of approach the question of of an artwork in a way like thinking about this I don't know, like Wittgenstein quotes that is like, you know, if you can imagine a language uh, or to imagine a language is also to imagine a form of life. And, you know, I I increasingly try to think about this uh, when I'm approaching exhibitions and artworks, like what form of life does this work of art propose? Um, And that's not just something that I got from Wittgenstein or something, but it's, you know, like the poet Joan Retallick has this idea of poetics, which is also very similar. Um, and so that's kind of, I don't know if that's a great answer to that question, but that's sort of where I, where I'm at right now as a critic. I mean, there are other, other sort of writers, uh, art writers that I really appreciate. Tim, Tim Clark, for instance. Um, I still, still like Frederick Jameson is not like, it's probably, maybe I should cut that. It's really unfashionable probably to like him still, but, you know, that's kind of the terrain that I I, like to see myself moving in.
1: Do you read a lot of art criticism?
0: You mean like in The Glossies or? Yeah. Not so much. No. More like book length kind of studies. Mm. Um, but um yeah, like short form reviews, not a lot. Just yours, Christine. <laughs> Ditto.
1: Um yeah, I mean that's from I I'm I also you know did not aspire to be an art critic and I I suppose maybe I mean I don't know if anyone does really that it's it's kind of something that you fall into. I mean for me it's it was like an interest in in writing, and, and creative writing, and an interest in, in art history that sort of merged um, by accident really into this. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't read a lot of reviews, I don't re- read a lot of art criticism, but, I mean, some of the art writers that I really appreciate are, you know, John Berger, for example, or... Um, um, we were going
0: to do an episode about John John Berger.
1: Yeah, our favorite text by him. Um, and he's just he was just so prolific. So there's still so much that I haven't read. And I like to just like dip into like one of his collections um, if I, you know, need inspiration or something. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of the criticism I write is like um, newspaper criticism and more journalistic um, criticism, perhaps. But even that, um, in that case, I mean, I I think a lot about as, like even a simple review has to sort of add something like beyond just treating... um, the exhibition or, or whatever the review is 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 on, you know, it has to sort of add something to the world or, like, put new ideas out there. Um, so I think that's why I don't necessarily only go to, like, art thinkers and art writers when it comes to influences. I mean, I'm also very influenced by essay um, writers and... Uh, novelists and, uh, you know, Ali Smith or Rachel Cusk or even when I'm writing criticism.
0: Do you, maybe we also talked about this last time, uh, but I mean, do you make, do you divide sort of the kind of critical work and the sort of fiction pretty pretty strictly. Do you make a strict division between those modes? Or is there or do they kind of bleed into one another?
1: Um I think I don't know, a little bit of both if if that is possible. Like in a way I do divide because I, I know I notice that I just I feel very different depending what on what I'm writing. If I'm writing more something fictional, it, it kind of feels like I'm roaming around this freely in this open landscape um, whereas you know criticism is more I guess it also has to do with you know what's work and what isn't work sort of but criticism might have to, you know certain frameworks and uh, to adhere to it so I think that is the difference but um, I think like contemporary fiction and in, in terms of like references and stuff, does tend to like seep into my criticism
0: should we move on to the next question yep okay so this one uh, asks for a discussion on the actual uh, reading slash looking at the exhibition as a critic and what kind of approach do you take for example to background information the wall texts press releases uh, the works in the space, in the specific context, etc.
1: This is a very interesting question. I think. I mean, it's it's um, pretty sort of fundamental, but I don't know if anyone has ever really asked me that before, mm. or if I've ever really talked to anyone about that this before, which is is odd, perhaps. I mean, I think, again, writing f- for the, like, regional newspaper in Malmo, I review, like, quite a wide range of shows. So, like, it's student shows or, you know, but also um, unestablished artists in small places and small towns and so forth. So, obviously, there's a big difference between reviewing a blockbuster show um, one of the big institutions and reviewing, um, you know, someone's first exhibition of, of, um, you know, paintings in a small gallery space behind sort of the local library or, or whatever. Um, but that said, <sighs> background information. Do I always read like the press release? I probably skim it, maybe to kind of know what it is they're going for, um, or if it is an artist that I'm not fam- familiar with. I mean, it depends. Sometimes I maybe avoid it to a greater extent. I mean, what about what about you?
0: Do I do like I read, avoid?
1: Yeah, would you read the press release, for example, when you're like invited to a preview?
0: um yeah most of the time um unless it's you know i have to say i have a i'm gonna sort of vent or gripe for a second i i don't know who is like telling artists that they should like write poems or like evocative texts for Mm, their press releases yeah but i personally am totally over that like I want to. I kind of want to know what's on the table. Mm. You know. Um, I don't want to read about. I don't know what a log might be feeling or something like. Right. <clears throat> sorry, that's. Uh, <laughs> I don't. No, mean...
1: I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm still dealing with this uh, this cold, but. Yeah, I mean when I see that like a press release is sort of written in a evocative somewhat fragmented manner i tend to not read it or possibly even take it seriously that's just something that i'm i'm at a point now where i'm kind of just over it mm. um but uh i mean i i guess that also you know i tend to look at a show i mean you know i i prefer to review solo exhibitions by artists you know like uh not uh, sort of cur- like thematic curatorial shows or biennials anymore. I, I re- I'm really more interested in solo presentations and, you know, I kind of tend to look at those as like, mm, as, as statements, you know, like mm. a, as a sort of, of an inquiry or a sort of, you know, f- a thought or something that has been followed through on. And, so in in that sense i guess i do kind of tend to like read an exhibition more i guess like a text um rather than sort of like give myself up sort of phenomenologically to a space or whatever um of course that's also you know what i mean like Mm. i'm not i'm often not so concerned with like you know like my own wandering through something or like suspending my disbelief or something like that as I you know engage with color and sound or whatever it might be I mean right. probably nobody will read my criticism after this now but I mean you know so I think of I think of shows as statements and kind of works in exhibition or works in exhibitions as sort of parts of that overall statement um, so it's probably it's a very conservative way of and I guess sort of overly cognitive or unemotional. But uh, that's, that's kind of how I tend to do it.
1: But is that something that you've sort of arrived at or? Is that how you've always approached?
0: I think it's probably how I've always approached it. Mm. I remember being kind of challenged on this in art school a bit, you know, like, like, oh, so you think art has to have a meaning? Right. Something. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
1: like I do, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, and I and from that perspective, I also see how why you don't want to, why you prefer not to review group exhibitions. Um. And I, I feel the same thing. I don't like really reviewing group exhibitions. It's, it's difficult to know what you're supposed to review or, um, like the curators. Intention and how well, like, they met that intention or the works in the exhibition, or if it's you know, like an awful theme but that kills good works, or and then it just kind of feels like you sort of write the same review over and
0: over again. Mm. Um, but I mean, with this interest also in like you know, solo shows, you know, if you what was part of the question was about background information, or you know, mm. I mean, like. You know ideally you want to be able to to sort of take time and sort of familiarize yourself with that artist's body of work kind of you know to sort of also chart things like themes or strategies and things like this and ideally you will have seen some some of that work in person um so you can sort of make a more informed uh have a more informed take i guess yeah um and so you know i try to do that writing Um, short form reviews uh, that can be challenging just because of the sort of turnaround times they're often very short
1: Um, but I think, I mean I was interested in this um, you know sort of reading the exhibition as opposed to having a more phenomenological approach Um, I mean is that what you feel that a lot of critics do I'm thinking of like the the reviews that start with like what they see like a lot of reviews might start with what they see first mm-hmm. you
0: know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah no I mean I have so like in my role as an editor um, at an art magazine I have noticed that there's a tendency in the Nordics to like narrate your moving through a space mm-hmm. like i walk through the door i encounter a painting i turn left into another room and there's three more paintings you know um <laughs> and that's always struck me as quite odd like i don't know if we quite have that same tradition in this sort of anglophone uh world of like really just sort of taking you through from one gallery to the next and talking about like i turn right Yeah, sort of this sort of thing. But no, I mean, more like I'm sort of thinking about just, you know, the like sort of just trying to sort of like be a body as you encounter work and sort of focusing on your sort of bodily or i don't know maybe effective Mm. kind of responses like to begin with yeah um and sort of like this is kind of what i'm talking about like oh like like being being overcome by like red or something right you know and like having that be the kind of crux of your reading of a show yeah um yeah i mean maybe this is very very kind of loose but i mean i have a hard time sort of um letting go of of like f- framing devices and sort of institutional conditions and par- paratexts and all that other shit like i have a hard time letting go of all mm, that to just mm. let myself kind of like experience you know right a, a work yeah right yeah. um and to also kind of like think that that experience would also be sufficient when there's all this other right, th- right. apparatus kind of going on. Yeah. You know, um, I guess that's more what I'm talking. Yeah.
1: About. I mean, I suppose I would feel that it might partly depend on the exhibition or like that ideally there would be some racial be- ratio between those two models yeah. um, and it all it all coming down to like how good you can articulate like what the red (laughs) does to you or whatever you know Mm -hmm. beyond uh, stopping you in your shoes or whatever um but i'm also thinking about like how this relates to then actually writing about the exhibition um i mean like when i see an exhibition for example i i tend to Take notes, I was going to say take a lot of notes, but that's probably not, that varies. But I take notes, but I've, I think I have quite rarely look at them afterwards. It's mm. kind of just like a way of helping me think while I'm there. You know, it's just like an aid to my thinking in a way. And I might look at them if I get stuck or if there's some particular fact or something that I need. But sometimes the the experience of writing the review then sort of becomes it's like I'm writing about my memory of being in the space kind of in a way Mm. which is perhaps a very phenomenological approach. I mean I don't know what your approach to note taking is.
0: Well yeah, I was going to just say that like you're into novels and I'm not you know like you're into fiction and narration i read poetry mostly so i think i think that would also kind of totally make sense in a way mm. um but uh i mean not to be s- like super reductive but i, I-, I mean like in, in in some way that that does seem to me one of the differences between those kind of modes of reading or the sort of you know if if you were to sort of like read an exhibition like a novel maybe then you're more likely to sort of narrate your experience moving through it or something Mm, like that mm. I don't know but um now I'm just thinking out loud in a very kind of schematic way but uh I take notes like uh, I usually just write them on the the handout like the map or something you know yeah um
1: and do you go back to them I mean do you rely, do
0: you rely on your notes? I do, yeah. Um I, I mean they're often um, I mean they're often not super coherent, but I do kind of rely on them um in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Should we move on to the next?
0: Yes. question <laughs> Yeah.
1: I mean, I feel like there's so much more I could say about that, and I'm sure, like biking home today, I'll I'll think of more stuff. But um,
0: I'm gonna really regret what I said about sort of the novelistic approach.
1: Or trashing all the Nordic art critics for walking through walking through the space. I don't know if I do that that much yeah. in my reviews. Maybe I do. I mean that, also kind of feels like a bit of a a crutch, kind of you mm. know, like how like should to fill I your word count? Yeah, or how like how do I how do I start and like okay, I'll start yeah. with
0: the beginning and yeah yeah no, but I mean I do think there's like a difference between sort of like si- like situating yourself as a writer, you know, which I think can be very useful often, and like just describing your movements mm-hmm. like through a space yeah yeah like i look up i look down i look to the right or i mean it's like that's that's very different than sort of trying to um sort of position yourself in relation to the work yeah 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 you know? yeah, right And all of your sort of partial knowledge and kind of insufficiency
1: Okay, moving on. Um, okay, this, this is a fun one. Um, if you may choose your last meal to have here on Earth, what would it be? Not exactly a death row situation, but let's <laughs> say one can't opt for dinner with the family. You are choosing what food you would like to eat before you leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fun question, but it's also, like, thinking about your own death is a bit of a...
0: Oh, see, I read it as though, like, you're going to leave Earth, so you might be going on, oh, like, an interplanetary, okay. you know, so it may not be... Right.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, because I'm, I'm like, thinking that I'm going to have some freeze-dried space food or something. Right.
1: But I think that would like change my answer a bit more, because then right. you would want something super fresh and like loads of vegetables and right. Yeah. I mean,
0: but you should just just go with your with your gut, which was the sort of. You read right. it as though you're this was like your last meal ever. You're going to die.
1: Yeah. Right. Because then I also had the sense of like wanting to die, like eating something fairly clean you know i mean like i love cheese and wine and stuff but it feels like maybe i wouldn't that wouldn't want i wouldn't want to like die with that in my system kind of um so um i just i like one of my favorite recipes but which i don't make very often is um yotam otolenghi's black peppered tofu which is this there's a lot of butter in it, but like scallions and, and chili and loads and loads of black pepper and tofu over like noodles and rice. So I think that's it's like a good it's kind of like comforting um and super yummy, but also, well, except for the butter, it's like fairly clean and whole, wholesome. Yeah, but you yeah, you go on your space. colonize mars or whatever
0: right yeah um no that's not what i would be going off to do
1: no yeah are you i mean would you be leaving voluntarily no No.
0: i i don't know yeah maybe maybe they would just send me away like it would be a but
1: if it's like an apocalypse sort of situation i hadn't thought it through so much but i was kind
0: of like I was not thinking that I would die necessarily. No,
1: okay. But I was
0: just, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, the I thought of chicken and waffles, and then some cheesecake.
1: Mm, Yeah, see, I wouldn't want to die. Like, yeah, sorry. Like, that's exactly what I did not want. No, in my system. Okay.
0: But I've not, I've not had like proper chicken and waffles or cheesecake. In many years. Uh, I haven't been back to the States in a while. Um, so I think those are the kinds of things that I'm like really longing for. But now it's like I'm thinking of other foods, you know, from the U.S. Like yeah. A re- like a really good, um, like really good tacos. Mm. Like.
1: Also a good choice. I'm trying to like picture. But I'm. Yeah. The chicken and waffles? I mean, is this like fried chicken?
0: Yes, yeah, fried chicken and waffles. Okay. I mean, you get served different ways depending on where you are. Um, I th- you know, I just saw actually that maybe I can't plug a restaurant, but there's a restaurant in town that actually offers it on Thursdays. Really? Yeah. Huh. So I was kind of thinking maybe if I can get away somehow. I don't know. Maybe take take our kid there. See what she. Would I think do you can.
1: I think you can name a restaurant. It's not like, okay, you know, Swedish television or, right. Swedish radio. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's casual. Casual has ah. chicken and waffles on Thursdays. Wow. Well, okay. But they're like uh, in limited quantity. So I think yeah. you, I don't know how popular they are, but. But um, yeah. Uh, Sometimes they're smothered in gravy, sometimes it's served with like maple syrup or mm. something I mean it depends kind of, but <clears throat> that's that's something I miss and like a like a proper fatty like dense cheesecake like i I've stopped even trying to get cheesecake here because it's so uh,
1: yeah no. unappealing, yeah, you can make yourself though I mean it's not that yeah,
0: no. I guess so, yeah so, but uh. So maybe my answer is just lame because I can no. get chicken and waffles right. down the street. and No, I can but well, I mean, I cheesecake. can also, I can make, the,
1: no, I think it wasn't, it didn't have to be about what you can't get, but still interesting that you're like not going to be eating fresh vegetables maybe ever again.
0: Um, yeah, okay. no, but I mean, yeah. you know, like I want to, I want to get a lot of calories if I'm going to be in like suspension or whatever, yes. you know? Yeah.
1: No, it's true. Um, you're entitled to your choices.
0: Um, this is, a, I mean, the next question is sort of similar. Like, what is, what is or are your current favorite snack or snacks? Um, are you a big snacker? Um, no, I guess not. No, I'm more of like a meal. Like, like, I prefer, I think, like, big meals.
1: Yeah, me too. Um. I mean, like, in general, I like, like, pretzels and pretzel sticks and, like, anything salty. But, like, my current favorite snack, I mean, this might sound... No, it's not gross, but, like, these, you know, these flavored dates, like, dates, like, covered in this sort of powder of something. Oh. And they're, like raspberry liquor licorice flavored dates i mean raspberry raspberry licorice is this weird swedish thing but um like sort of powdered onto dates um i actually quite like yeah so if it's like my current like this month favorite snack it might be that but otherwise i think
0: pretzels okay yeah i mean if pressed to answer um like my daughter is two years old and i've just recently introduced a snack from my childhood uh ants on a log Mm, you know celery celery with some peanut peanut butter butter and then raisins yeah yeah uh i like it Uh, she's not as into it as i am but you know Yeah. And log, I think that's that's pretty good.
1: Healthy snack.
0: Okay, so here's another question. Um, If you had to perform a one year performance piece in 2022, the way Te Ching Se committed to his one year performances from 1978 to 1986, what would you do? What lies within the realm of possibility? What are the difficulties you might encounter? What might be fruitful for you and others? <laughs> this is a toughie.
1: Fruitful for you and others. Um. <clears throat> I mean, I think it would. It would like have to have something to do with refusal, or I mean, with abstaining from something mm. um, for a year. I mean, now maybe I'm just like not thinking outside the box enough, but like his, I mean, um, like his no art piece or, you know, like not looking at or reading about or hmm. making art in any way for a year. I know I'm supposed to come up with my own thing, but I think that might be something that I like that would be interesting yeah. to do. But
0: what would it be like?
1: No, but art.
0: It would be, oh, okay, it might it be, be no yeah. art. Yeah.
1: Just to see, like, what effect that would have, like, after the year has passed. Like, mm-hmm. would I be sort of detoxed and not interested in art anymore? Or, like, what would I miss about it? Or... Um,
0: or like, how how broadly would you define it, too? Like, is it just, like, not visiting exhibitions... Would you be like taking down all the artworks in your home, not watching films, not reading novels? I mean, like how, mm. like where are the parameters?
1: I mean, I think it would be have to be like about sort of visual art, but then maybe taking down. Yeah, maybe like then taking down all the artworks in my home. I mean, still reading and watching films. Um, but not at all i mean it would be difficult but you know in terms of like not at all reading even like the slightest headline about art or but i think i that would be interesting i mean that might be fruitful i think just um realizing like what has like what effect that would have on me i mean i know like during the pandemic a lot of I mean, museums and galleries did close, but it wasn't for, I mean, a couple of months, maybe. And some spaces were still open. And um, um, But I know, like, I was talking to this Finnish curator a couple of weeks ago who was talking about, like, her first experience, like, curating again after not, you know, having done that in, in maybe, like, a year and not having seen a lot of art and, like, really being afraid that she had sort of lose, lost her touch or realizing that like not looking at art had, had sort of um, impacted her, her practice in some way. But yeah, I mean, again, I'll think of something better when I'm cycling home today. But yeah. I mean, then there are obviously a lot of, you know, maybe I would just like do something for myself, like refuse sugar, and you know, white flower for a year or something mm. that would be fruitful, maybe not for others, but for myself. Do you have one?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like, I, would, I, I was just thinking, like, yeah, I would tie myself to Linda Montano for a year, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> how old? I mean, <clears throat> um,
1: how old? she she must be like 80 or something
0: yeah yeah i mean i'm not sure i could look it up but i mean you know it's it's my lack of imagination as you know this uh sort of very conservative art critic who reads exhibitions (laughs) like texts and doesn't like poems or for press releases and stuff um yeah i mean I think I could learn a lot though by, you know, and that's a very selfish response. Like it's not, probably wouldn't be very fruitful for her or anyone else potentially. But like, um, yeah, I think I would probably learn a lot about uh, also, you know, like how, about aging, um, about also, you know, how how an artist um, sort of, yeah, creates their form of life around their work, you know, and where that leads mm. um so christine after all of these conversations that we've had this fall i'm just curious uh, like what are your takeaways
1: i think it's i mean it's been really interesting talking to all the artists like of whom i was familiar with someone some i had met before some i had never met um and I think it's you know, I as a critic I've always sort of believed that like anything can be criticism, you know, that like an interview can be criticism, for example. So like for me that has been interesting to to explore this season. Just like the the possibility of of the interview of the interview format, um, And I think also, I mean, it's it was a lot of the artists answers about, you know, living and working in Malmo. um, As we also touched on before that, you know, Malmo for various reasons is is a fairly um, can be like a fairly easy and and welcoming city to to work in as an artist. But I, I was also very happy for example to get the perspective of, of um, you know Grace who had moved here from right. the States um, and also Kabe who you know was sort of saying that you can live a whole life in Malmo without getting a show um, so I'm <laughs> glad that we have like that those perspectives so that we don't just sort of perpetuate this truth, the mm. uh, quote unquote truth about Malmo being such a great artist city what about you
0: yeah I mean I mean just on on that note I mean one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is or that I've one thing that I'm taking away from this is that I mean despite you know all of this kind of activity um you know all of the things that can kind of recommend Malmö as a place there does I mean I do get the sense that like artists needs are not necessarily being met you know Uh, that there are there is something missing or there is something lacking you know and whether that's sort of something as basic as opportunities to show or sort of um uh, opportunities to be you know kind of compensated for your work or you know whatever um community discourse who I mean like I I don't know um I think it's that's that's one of my takeaways is that like Malmö is somehow not living up to its potential and that's kind of a bleak maybe a bleak thing, but because I mean, at the same time, I mean, we talked also a lot about like decolonization Mm. and the kind of, you know, rigor with which artists here seem to be engaging ideas around that, you know, um, is also kind of encouraging. So there is of course, like a way that Malma fosters a certain kind of questioning, you know, um, And maybe certain models that might kind of push that questioning forward. Um, Because it does seem to me kind of like, you know, after everything that we talked about that, you know, to like fully, like to like fully decolonize, to have a fully decolonial perspective would mean like the end of the kind of art world as we know it. Mm. Right. And so that would all, that also requires like, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because it also means a sort of transformation of all sorts of other things, like social, economic, political transformation. Um, and maybe that's, you know, if I guess if there's a positive takeaway, <laughs> that like, you know, that um, Malma does seem to be kind of like uh, a place where Yeah, those kind of like everyday practices of like sort of commoning or being together or whatever um that they can be kind of uh put in put into play or put into practice uh, in a way that may not be possible in other other settings Mm. so
1: we recorded this at InterArt Center in Malmö, Lund University's interdisciplinary platform for artistic research. Many thanks to Inter Arts Center's director, Christian Skober-Jensen and Jonas Jönsson for technical assistance. And thank you to the City of Malmö for funding this season of the podcast.
0: You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, as well as on the Inter Arts Center's website. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. Or, if you have questions, comments, or would just like to get in touch, send us a message at criticaldialogues at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or
1: Instagram. This was the final episode of this season, and we'll be taking a little break, but we'll hopefully be back fairly soon, and we hope that you'll listen then. This has been Critical Dialogues. Thanks for listening.